One thing I meant to do that I didn't do, and that's pray over the sermon now. And so I'm going to offer a prayer now that God bless this sermon. Lord, I ask now that you take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and make them wholly yours. That as we come to seriously consider your word, your message for us this day, that you might grow us in grace and the knowledge and love of Jesus. That you might help us to be a people that actively listen and critically think so that we might radically love you and our neighbors. These things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before I go any further, are we going to be using these mics? We are. Okay, well, you need to know by halfway through the sermon, I'm leaving my notes and preaching from the heart. Okay. <laughs> well, brothers and sisters, welcome back to week three, uh, the final week in um, our uh, stewardship campaign this year. Some of you are going, thanks be to Jesus, it's only three weeks. Wait till next year, it's five weeks. Won't be that bad. The series is based upon Jesus' words from Luke 12, 23. Where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. Now, a quick reminder that stewardship is not fundraising. Okay, not fundraising. Stewardship is recognizing that God owns everything. Stewardship is understanding that we've been created to manage the life and the resources God has given us. Stewardship is accepting that we have responsibilities, not rights. And that we will have to account for how we have used our life and our resources to further God's kingdom. And stewardship is remembering that we receive a reward for our faithfulness. That is out of this world. And of course, I've recognized with you in the past couple of weeks, and I do it again today, that sharing what stewardship is without sharing the why is a pointless endeavor. Which is why we have reframed our understanding of stewardship and the treasure we've been given by God in terms of our hearts. Because whatever it is that we value... That is where we're going to place the treasure of the resources we've been given. And it's tough to understand what we value if we're not sure what it is we dream about. Which is why I've been sharing the following question with you every week. What is your dream for Calvary Church? What is your dream for Calvary Church? Now the most shared dream with me is actually a goal. To be debt free. It's a great goal. I'm certain we're going to achieve this goal in my time here together as pastor and as congregation. But as I've been saying, whatever it is that's on the other side of being debt free, that's where your dream is. Because that's where your heart is. Right? Now last week I shared with you a dream I received from someone. It was the dream that said, I dream of noise. Right? I want the church to be noisy. I'm going to share the rest of that dream with you that I shared last week. I want to hear children talking too loudly, crying and giggling. I want youth Sundays where the young people of our church amaze and startle us with their enthusiasm and their vibrancy. I want to hear old people, of which I count myself a member. It's not me. I'm reading somebody else's words, y'all. Um, 
<laughs> complaining that they like Youth Sunday, but they sure wish those kids would learn to speak up. I want children's choirs where there might be more shouting than singing and at least one child that twirls and waves rather than sings. Y'all, I love that dream because it is a dream of life. It's a dream of life. Today I want to share with you another dream I received from a very deep thinker. And this person took quite a bit of time to share a very detailed and thought-provoking vision with me. And instead of sharing this person's vision with you in its entirety, let me just offer a little bit of context. And then I'll share the final portion of their dream with you. Now, the context of this person's dream is this, and this is my own words. And so if this person hears me in a little bit um, and, and I have not nailed the context, feel free to correct me later. The context is this. We live in a polarized world, right? Where left and right, red and blue, mask and no mask, vaccinated and unvaccinated, all seem to hate each other. And all of us are being manipulated by dark forces to continue hating each other. Now that's my paraphrase of the context by which this person writes, My dream for Calvary Church is that we become an active force in our community for a third way. Christ's way. And if we do it effectively and successfully, we inevitably will become a larger and more vibrant church. Y'all, I love that dream too. That's a good dream. I love both these dreams because both these dreams have Jesus in the right place first, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will fall into place. Everything will fall into place if we're seeking Jesus first. And I love both these dreams because life is recognized as important inside and outside of this building. And I love both of these dreams because they intersect with Jesus' mission. And that's where a people whose hearts are focused on stewardship want to be investing their resources. Because stewardship is investing your resources at the intersection of your dream and God's mission. We have a mission. We have a story to share. We have a heart that's beating for Jesus Christ. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And when we understand whatever it is our dream is, we understand what we value. And when we understand what we value, we can utilize our resources to further God's mission. Moreover, like the parable of the Good Samaritan in last week's sermon, we can utilize the treasure of our souls and our bodies and our resources to go the extra mile in our giving because we know that what is given to the kingdom of God never dies. And y'all, that's important. That's important. Because one day, every one of us will die. And if we cannot have an honest, heart-to-heart conversation about life and death in the church, then I'm really not sure why we exist. And if there's one thing we can learn 
from the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, it's this. Our lives have limits. Our lives have minutes, limits. You know, there are so many truths that can be shared from this parable. But one of the takeaways I have is this. We have limited time. We have limited resources. And so what are we going to do with the time and the resources while we have them? Jesus shares this parable coming on the heels of another parable about how a son goes away and he squanders everything he has and he comes back and his father sees him from a distance and he throws off everything and he sees his son and he goes running to him and he comes back, come back, welcome back, come, let's kill the fattened calf and all that. Jesus tells that parable to show what extravagant generosity looks like. And then he shares this parable. And he's sharing it with church people, right? I mean, they were Hebrews, they were, they were synagogue people, but he's sharing it with church people, right? Do we want to be extravagant in our giving, like the father of the prodigal son? Or do we want to be miserly, think only of ourselves, especially when we can't take any of it with us? Right? Because we're not getting out of this alive, are we? So what can we take with us? Jesus shares a parable that plenty of people have used to illustrate heaven and hell. And certainly that is a reality of which we should be aware. But you know there's something else in this parable that some people don't see. I'm having a lot of fun with this today. I think, I think there's a short. That's what it is. Yeah. There's another insight here that a lot of people miss out on. You see, the wealthy, the wealthy were expected to help the poor. And so every day somebody had to bring Lazarus to the wealthy man's house. And clearly the wealthy man was the only person who had enough resources to help Lazarus. And yet he chose not to help him at all. And when the time came, when the reckoning for both of them took place, and they both died, one ended up in Hades, or the place of the dead, and the other at Abraham's bosom, which became another meaning for heaven. And there was a chasm that separated the two. Because our lives have limits. Our lives have limits. And what was done in this body and what was done in this life, that determined where they spent their lives. And so I have two questions for you today that I want to ask in relation to this parable, and it's this. What kind of legacy will your heart leave? And what kind of reward will your heart inherit? In other words... The treasure left behind and what lies ahead. And I want to share something very special with you today. I guess I'll go back over here to the pulpit, even though I don't have notes at this point. That way you can at least pick up some of what I'm saying. Y'all, this is a, this is a very, very special treasure to me. This is my mamaw's Bible. 
Now, if you don't know what a mammal is, it's Southern Appalachian for grandmother. All right? It's my mammal's Bible. My mamaw was a very, very devout Southern Baptist lady, a charter member of her church, Gravely Baptist Church, in rural northern Sullivan County. And my mamaw loved her son Jesus, and she loved her family, and she loved her church, and she loved her Bible, and she participated in every single way you could possibly imagine. But I got a hold of the Bible. Now, she had five sons, like ten grandchildren, like a million great-grandchildren. Good night, Christmas was a nightmare over there, especially for an only child. (laughs) The only thing I ever really wanted of hers after she left this earth was this Bible. This Bible. And some years back, I talked my Uncle Ron into letting me borrow it, and I borrowed it knowing I'd never give it back to him. And Dad, if you're watching, you can share this with Ronnie. He's out of luck. I'm not giving it back. In the front of her Bible is how to lead somebody through the sinner's prayer. In the back of her Bible is walking down the Romans Road from Turning Point Ministries so she can share faith with somebody. And in this, this is her Bible, y'all. And, and it's written in all, all the way throughout. And I love this. When I, uh, when I looked at what was written in her Bible for today, the whole thing's covered in writing. Right? The whole thing is covered in writing. Um, and uh, on, on today's passage of Scripture, let's see, right here it says, Things the rich man did not have in hell. He didn't have a friend. He didn't have peace. And he didn't have hope. Then she has different pastors' names in here. And when they preached from this passage, somebody preached from it. October 24th, 1976. I would have been six, eight months, years old. Somebody else preached 87 and 89. Here, over here, somebody else's sermon notes from that thing. It says, urgency of the gospel. Death is sure. The urgency of the gospel. Death is sure. Hell is real. Eternity is forever. The rich man, he had feeling in hell. He had a state of feeling and a lostness of sight and hearing. And he had emotions. I don't know. I mean, is this worth anything by worldly standards? Is it? It's King James at that. Is that worth anything by worldly standards? Not a lick. Could she take it with her? No. What did she take with her? What was written on the tablet of her heart? What was written on the fabric of her soul? The words that came from this inspired by the Holy Spirit. That which she took with her. That which grew her heart. That was the urgency of the gospel. That's what changed her life. That's what changed the lives of those who came around her and near her and to her and through her. That's what changed my life. She gave everything she had to the kingdom of God. 
She gave her body, she gave her soul, she gave her resources. And when the time came, she inherited a reward that was out of this world. Why would we ever invest money in anything else in this world other than the kingdom of God? Because everything else in this world is going to die. The only thing that's eternal is that which is coming to earth as it is in heaven. Why would we throw our money away anywhere else? Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven or treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What are you doing with your time? Are you giving it in prayer? What are you doing with the talents and the gifts God has given you? What about the financial resources? Rest assured, wherever you're giving the most of your time, And the most of your talents and the most of your resources, that's where your heart is. And to my brothers and sisters my age and younger, listen. It's our turn to step up. Because our parents and our grandparents financially have been carrying the kingdom of God. And if you're my age or younger and you're struggling financially, I get it. But we can't outgive God. And I guarantee if you've never committed any kind of money to God and you make some form of commitment to God with your finances, He will richly bless you in ways you will never even think of. Do you know God can do more with your 10% than you can do with all 100% of it? He can do so much more with that. I promise you. If you look and go, oh my gosh, I have a mortgage, I have the kids, I have this, I don't know that I can give anything. Yeah, we, we don't have a mortgage, we're blessed with a parsonage. But we do have a mortgage and student loans, so I get it. God does not ask us to give up equal gifts, He asks us to give equal sacrifice. He asks us to give equal sacrifice. No matter what stage of life you are in, some of you are some of you are in a position you could write a check today. I don't know who you are, but you could write a check today to pay off the debt of this church. Some of you are in a position today that you you could come in every day of the week and grab the phone in the morning. Some of you are in that position. Some of you are in this position today that you can barely get to church on a Sunday morning because you're trying to wrangle your kids together and they are all over the place and there's toothpaste flying and there's tears going and you come in and you're all disheveled and you're tired and you're exhausted. And that's all you can do and it's everything that God wants. We are all in these different stages of life, friends. And as you've shared with me your dreams for Calvary Church, you know what I've heard? I've heard we desire to become a multi-generational community. A beloved multi-generational community where we are experiencing life together in all of its different stages. 
From the little ones that are coming into the world to those that are leaving this world and going on to heaven. And if what we desire is to become a beloved multi-generational community living with the life force of Jesus Christ running through us and running out of this building in such a way that it absolutely turns this neighborhood upside down and absolutely changes the way we interact with people at our work and at the grocery store and even those people that get in front of us while we're driving on Interstate 83. If we're looking for For that kind of change, it happens here with our faith commitments. Are we willing to give our time in prayer? Are we willing to give the gifts God has given us for the kingdom? Are we willing to give the resources he's given us? What treasure will we leave behind? What fantastic treasure will we leave behind? And what lies ahead? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that is so true. That is so true. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. What has God laid on your heart to give? What kind of time has God laid on your heart to give? What of your talents has God laid upon your heart to give? What of your resources, financial and otherwise, has God caught upon you? Whatever that is, He wants you to give it. He wants you to give it with joy. Because what you give, it doesn't die. It lives forever in a kingdom that never dies. And so, brothers and sisters, this day, I invite you. I invite you to make a faith walk. I invite you to make a faith commitment. In just a moment, the choir is going to sing an anthem. And as they do, you're invited, just as you are, whenever you are, however you are, whenever you're ready. There are three baskets here. You can come as you feel led. There's no organization to it. You have a choir anthem to do it. And if you're not ready to commit today, that's not a problem. Because we'll be receiving commitments until the end of November. Some of you have already turned your commitments in. Thank you. Praise be to God. Some of you are ready to do it today. Some of you are praying about it even right now. What am I going to put on this card? How long will I pray for this church every week? What kind of gifts can I give to this church resources, and of myself. So as the choir sings, I want you to know you're invited to come place your faith commitment in a basket. And then we will consecrate these gifts together. Amen.